sorry about the delay. There's some kind of technical glitch on the app, but I think it's working now. Um, if you haven't yet, make sure to download the latest update in the App Store. So um, this is Jordan Schachtel. I'm the host of the Dossier podcast, which is exclusively on Colin now. Um, you can read my written work at dossier.substack.com. Yet last night I posted a story that has gone pretty viral and I found a list of confirmed attendees that was just released by the World Economic Forum and their annual Davos meeting, um, which is taking place next week. They don't really publicize who's coming to that invite-only event. And it's a very important annual meeting because it's essentially where they set the agenda for all of the crazy policies that they want to enact on all of us. Um, you know, this includes like what they're going to do with their climate agenda, with the ESG agenda, um, this whole great reset thing. All of these terms are a result, these bumper sticker political terms are a result of what happens in Davos, what happens in consultation with World Economic Forum think tankers and narrative shapers. They're intimately involved in managing the conversation and their connections um, are better than anyone's and their network is second to none. Um, and you can just, the results sh are shown in how these politicians, presidents, heads of state, how they're all talking about the same thing. It, it's not a coincidence. And the World Economic Forum is uh, basically where they get their talking points. Uh, definitely not a conspiracy. There's a track record of how exactly it goes down heavily funded um, by all of these NGOs, uh, financial institutions, the World Economic Forum and their Davos meeting uh, carries enormous weight nowadays. It used to be basically nothing in the 80s. Um, it grew significantly in the 90s during the Clinton administration and the money just flooded in basically after that. And now they're extremely influential. They do have a public outreach um, shop, but they're much more focused on trying to influence the decision makers. The public outreach is actually a relatively new thing. And I think it's kind of backfired because people are now more aware of the activities of the Davos crowd. And uh, I think it was a strategic error actually for them to, to be... Uh, involved in trying to convince the public, you know, that, that famous, uh, you will own nothing and be happy line, um, that they're trying to convince the public that maybe inflation is good. Maybe you shouldn't have material possessions. This is a very radical organization, which is why more people need to be talking about it. But anyway, um, so I wrote the piece last night, um, talking about, all of these politicians who were invited to this 
event, specifically American politicians because I'm based in the U.S., but I have the whole list at dossier.substack.com. The U.S. politicians, it, it's interesting what I take from that. Clearly, they want to be, they want to have some semblance of bipartisanship because it's basically split down the middle amongst Republicans and Democrats. Um, with the Biden administration, the highest profile people that are going are Gina Raimondo, who's the Secretary of Commerce, and the infamous John Kerry, the, uh, the climate czar, who I'm sure is flying in on a private jet to Davos, which, is, which starts Sunday, by the way, and I believe it ends Thursday. Uh, what's cool is that Rebel News, the Canadian-based outfit, but they do international journalism. You should also check them out in the coming days because they just sent a team of like half a dozen reporters to cover it. And they're definitely um, fellow right-wingers, at least. So they, they should be coming from an interesting perspective. But it, So you have the Biden administration, Kerry, Raimondo. There's also Al Gore, who's acting in some independent capacity. Um, he, they love him because he's big on the climate agenda stuff. In terms of the Republicans, you have two governors, Holcomb of Indiana and Larry Hogan of Maryland, um, who, you know, they're kind of, were infamous for being terrible during COVID mania. Larry Hogan in my circles is called Lockdown Larry. Then you have Michael McCall. He's a top-ranking congressman from Texas. Um, in terms of other Republicans, Pat Toomey, senator. Uh, you've got a lot of Democrat senators, John Hickenlooper, Hickenlooper, Patrick Leahy, the infamously corrupt Robert Menendez of New Jersey, another extremely corrupt Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island. Unfortunately, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez is on this list um, after his, like, failed altcoin experiment. He is now going to Davos to hang out with the elites. So um, it, it's very unfortunate what's going on in Miami with this influx of um, crypto tech people who aren't really, it, it seems that there's a lot of scammers within that contingent and they're, they're making the prices, uh, the cost of living in Miami basically unaffordable for the people that live there. And Suarez, who comes from a you know famous, powerful Cuban family, is actually kind of responsible for his his own people leaving um, the area where they fled Cuba to come to, and now they have to move into um, more rural areas because they can't afford to live in nice areas in Miami anymore. So that's going on. But yeah, back to the World Economic Forum. Um, if you haven't, if you're not super familiar with this organization, it, it's very much worth your time to dig into it. I don't think there's any more influential group in in the world right now. And they're, they're so shadowy. Like you have this front man, Klaus Schwab, who makes a, is paid a fortune to be the, the president of this organization that he helped found and, and he's been running it for like 50 years. The World Economic Forum started as like this, um, this European think tank. It was basically nothing. And then at some point along, they had some infusion of 
dark money. And the next thing you know, the World Economic Forum is this giant institution. When I was tracing the history of the World Economic Forum, and basically it was like this, uh, it was this German language organization and Klaus Schwab was leading it, but it was like, it, it was not influential at all. So the idea that Schwab is responsible for his success is partially true, but I'm not convinced that he's, he's the guy really running the show. Um, they left him in front of the organization, but there is some kind of dark money that brought it from a one to a 10 in 20 years. And that wasn't just Schwab talking about the climate agenda. You know, there was, there's definitely a lot more to that that can be explored. Um, and especially during these, you know, troublesome COVID times, the World Economic Forum was so influential in, in messaging um, these destructive narratives with lockdowns. It, you had politicians from Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Boris Johnson, uh, the UK Prime Minister. You had Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister. You had Scott Morrison, the Australian leader, um, Emmanuel Macron in France. All of them were repeating these same narratives um, about builds back better and great reset. There on my dos on my dossier Substack, I have a um, YouTube link compilation of all of them using that same term over and over again. And it's not like builds back better is is you know used to be like some commonly used term. Um, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I've also done some research on you know what do they mean by these? With what are they trying to do with these bumper sticker terms? And the World Economic Forum basically wants um, to institute. There's it's a several pronged approach to you know what they want for their outcomes. So basically, they want this like technocratic elite class running everything in society. Um, and if anyone wants to jump in in the comments, uh, feel free. But um, yeah, the World Economic Forum they're they're very much on the forefront of this ESG movement this environmental social governance regime, which is basically forcing corporations to comply with this technocratic nonsense and is creating a cartelization effect in, in the markets, like especially in the United States. Um, if you want to have an investment business you will not receive capital unless you're ESG compliant. And the ESG movement has really, it really is, you would think that it has something to do with this environmental nonsense, but it really just acts as a mafia. It, maybe some of the innocent individuals who want to be ESG compliant uh, do it because they care about the environment, even though, you know, the, it's the climate change agenda, essentially, they're not really all of the major players with their ESG policies. Like they just want to get access. That's what the ESG thing is. And the World Economic Forum facilitates that through um, convincing world leaders that they should continue to push this. Um, and again, in, in 
it, a lot of it happens in Davos. Uh, here's an example of some of the panels and topics discussed at the 2022 meeting will include. That list is also available on my Substack. Experience the future of co cooperation, the global collaboration village. I have no idea what they're going to talk about there. <laughs> I'm sure it's just going to be some type of statist nonsense that they'll try to convince you to give up your rights for global cooperation. Another topic that they're going to talk about is staying on course for nature action. That would be the climate agenda, um, convincing people to stop eating meat, eat bugs, um, con consume seed oils, all this garbage, um, you know, stop breeding cows, that kind of type of craziness. Another topic, future-proofing health systems, clearly pandemic-related. It's kind of like a hybrid push for you know, socialist health care in addition to spending an enormous amount of money to, you know, fund these middlemen and empower like this Gates network of um, public health crazy people that want to um, lock you down whenever there is a crisis that, that they created occurs. And here's a very interesting panel. Accelerating the reskilling revolution for the green transition. So the green transition, it, it, it's, this, it's, a, it's the same common theme. It's, we're going to strip you of all your rights because according to the World Economic Forum, the, the, the most important premise that they hold, and, and they make this clear to them, that their most important thing to them is that in their view, the, the earth is dying. Um, we only have a few years left before everything and the oceans boil. And what's interesting is that they, they do not consider the arguments from the other side. And in Klaus Schwab, the leader of the World Economic Forum, I read his books. He's written like four books in the last couple of years. And it's a very similar theme. And this is his most important point, is that there is no debating this. Um, I'm sure you've heard it from your local lib activists, that, that climate change is not up for debate because all of these so-called climate scientists, which is a made-up field, um, similar to like a public health expert, you know, you, you know where they're going to come from, that all of these climate scientists agree that the world is coming to an end. And if we don't address it, the world's going to come to an end. There, there's no there's no point for debate. There's time for, for action. Time for action is now. If you read Klaus Schwab's Fourth Industrial Revolution, The Great Reset, that, that's the theme. The theme is that the world is dying if we do not take dramatic action. And while it may sound extreme, it's not extreme because the world is ending. And it's, it's utterly ridiculous. But to even get into the door at Davos, you need to believe this. And in addition to that, to get into the door at Davos this year, you need to be, you need to have proof of vaccination and, and mask. And they're, they're big on COVID mania over there. Um, I'll take uh, Ken. Hold on. Did that work? Maybe. Oh. Okay. Dro says, do you have any thoughts on Larry Fink and BlackRock, Jordan? 
Um, I have a lot of thoughts on Larry Fink and BlackRock. I think that BlackRock has succeeded in, they are the, besides, you know, in terms of like a private organization, they are the number one promoter of ESG. ESG is basically their baby in addition to the World Economic Forum. And BlackRock has thrived in this cartel environment. Um, I think, I don't know what the latest number was, but before the markets went to hell, they had over $10 trillion in assets under management. And they bought up all of these these, uh, ETFs and index funds. So what's the genius behind BlackRock is that whenever you're basically investing in an ETF or you're, or you're buying stuff through Robinhood ETF, you're basically empowering this ESG mafia without even knowing. And this is, this is an area where we need to have much more awareness um, because people really have no idea that, you know, if you're buying like an iShares, ETF and you just want to you know, own shares and all of these stocks and organizations, you're, you're just giving up your voting power to BlackRock. So try not to buy ETFs. I know everyone's busy um, <laughs> with their lives, but Vanguard too. Vanguard and BlackRock seem to own everything now because they own that ETF market. So if you look at all of these companies now, they... BlackRock owns 9%, Vanguard owns 8%. Companies they own, own another 12, 13%. So they have significant voting shares. Um, and it's a huge problem. But um, back to the World Economic Forum. So some topics that are being discussed. The net in net zero. This is having to deal with emissions. What is fascinating about the net and net zero is that Davos famously is known for having the most amount of private jets <laughs> for any conference in the world because these are all, you know, this is an invite only class of politicians and extremely influential people, extremely wealthy people who will fly private into Davos and tell you how important the climate agenda is to them that this is something that is on the top of their mind wherever they go. John Kerry, he's famous. He only flies private. The amount of emissions that these people will um, put into the environment, the amount of carbon, um, it, it just shows what a ridiculous scam this process is. And in order to, they, they, I don't, if some of you aren't aware, there's this whole carbon credit system in place where if you've committed carbon sin, meaning like if you've driven or, or if your if your business uses too much energy, you can pay off the ESG mafia and buy carbon credits. And when you buy carbon credits, you become carbon neutral and then you get that ESG stamp of approval. And it's, it's just such a transparent cartel. It's just so fake. Um, and ridiculous. And what's interesting, I don't know if some of you saw the news from yesterday, but Tesla was, you know, which is famous for trying to be as environmentally friendly as possible to a fault. Um, And I think that they shouldn't engage in the ESG nonsense, but they do. But I think Elon Musk is slowly 
awakening to it being a joke. But Tesla was taking off, taking off the ESG list, uh, the S&P's ESG list, which is like important if you're, let's say, um, if you're investing money with these ESG compliant outfits, which is basically all of them, and you have a customer and your customer says, hey, you know, I want to, um, I'm an environmentally friendly person. Can you invest my money in environmentally friendly organizations? So they'll go ahead and put their money in the ESG S&P list. And now Tesla's not on that list. And it's clearly because um, the ESG is a political, political movement too. And Elon Musk has now become an enemy to the to the movement because it's aligned with these status interests and through his purchase of Twitter or his upcoming purchase of Twitter, we'll see if it goes through and his outspokenness about free speech. He has now violated the ESG's mafia's um, policies. So now he's kicked off the list and he pointed this out on social media that Tesla is enormously, you know, tries as hard as they can to be compliant. And it's hard to feel bad for him because um, he was kind of partaking in this scam for a very long time, and now it had the chickens have come home to roost, and he's no longer part of the club. Um, but I am encouraged by what he's doing. Another topic is the future of globalization. The people who are take part in Davos meetings are big one-world government people. Um, the future of globalization, I'm sure they will talk about how nationalism and populism and patriotism is evil and selfish <laughs> and that you need to let the UN and the WHO control everything because they did such a good job the last couple of years, those geniuses. And, um, you know, globalization, everything with this Davos stuff ties back to the climate agenda. Globalization, they will say, um, and Schwab wrote about this in his books, uh, it's necessary to you know bring in order because nationalism has failed. Look how bad the climate is. Another topic they're talking about is unlocking carbon markets. Uh, I kind of alluded to this when the the whole carbon movement is is so ridiculous, and um, there's a lot of interesting people who've who've researched this at length. Uh, Alex Epstein. You should definitely follow him and buy his books. Um, he's really good on these issues. But yeah, this has to do with the carbon credits. By unlocking carbon markets, they really mean, again, creating this mafia cartel effect and making sure that people cannot operate and obtain capital in the market without being ESG carbon credit net zero compliant. And it's fascinating because uh, the World Economic Forum wants to be seen as supporting the current thing. There are no Russian officials that were invited this year. Uh, although I, I believe that Putin has gone to several World Economic Forum um, meetings in Davos and Russian officials have often gone. They're not they're not invited. And who is keynoting one of the nights at Davos? None other than Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. <laughs> so they, they want to be very PC. And it, it's very unfortunate to me 
to see. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that like I'm one of these political people who identifies entirely with the Republican Party, but like you know, I, I believe that the GOP should at least be a vehicle for freedom and live and the promotion of liberty. And to see, um, you know, to see all these senators, state governors, congressmen um, on the GOP side. It's very unfortunate. Um, I, I think that the, the in the future, you know that we will be winning if, let's say, in Davos 2023, suddenly you find that no Republicans want to go to Davos, that the invite list is one or two, but a dozen is way too high. Um there's still a lot of work to be done to raise awareness about the Davos crowd. But I think like if you were to have this conversation, even last year, there was zero awareness um, about the threat posed by the World Economic Forum. And now what I'm seeing is on social media, whenever someone who participated in that young leaders program or, or, you know, gave a speech at Davos about globalization, I think that, millions of Americans are very much aware of the the threat posed by this organization. And that's, that's very encouraging. Um, but there needs to be more done because as you can see by these 25 or so politicians that from both parties that are going to Davos, there's still very much this unit party effect um, in the United States and there are still, I believe the list had, I think it was 40 heads of state. So 50 heads of state are attending the Davos meeting. Um, you have 34 in affairs chiefs. You have 43 equivalents of Secretary of Commerce, Secretary of Treasury. Um, so... 310 public figures. So it's still like, it it shouldn't be a, it should only be a place where these like globalist freaks show up. Uh, There's like the idea that people should go there to make connections and get into business. I I think that we're heading towards a, a, a positive direction where the folks that are going there will be perceived as evil. And I think that's great. Um, and, and some countries like wouldn't like the, um, Bolsonaro, Brazil, he's not going, there's a significant amount of heads of state who come from that, like nationalist coalition who wouldn't be found dead there. And I, I think that it's definitely a good marker that, you know, the resistance, the people who still believe in sovereignty, that movement has really I, I think with with the whole COVID mania stuff, that really exposed the the threat posed by the ruling class. You know, they pushed so hard in trying to steal all of our rights, and the fact that this list is not as robust as it used to be shows that um, the reputation of the World Economic Forum is coming under question. Um, so, if anyone has any comments. Uh, I don't know what happened to the last caller, but I hope the app is working okay for you guys. Um, 
this weekend, there's a lot of interesting topics to discuss, but um, I will definitely be doing another couple podcasts with Colin next week. I hope this was my first full week using this app, and um, it's going pretty well. They have a huge roster like of um, new talent that's coming in here basically every day. Um, for those of you who don't know, I think they have like significant amount of um, David. Is it David Sachs? The the co-founder of PayPal is the um, yeah. It's David Sachs. He's the one that started Call In, and um, they're really making a push to kind of like become. I think what Clubhouse failed to become, which was an, an interactive um, conversational. Um, application. So, um, you know, you have my buddy Pedro Gonzalez is on here, uh, Glenn Greenwald, Michael Tracy, Katie Halper. Um, for those libertarians, you have Justin Amash. There's so many shows on here that you should check out. Uh, Jesse Single. Um, and, and the people there told me that they're going to continue to bring on a lot of folks. So, yeah, thanks so much for your time, everyone, and have a happy weekend.